Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. How many of you want to invite the Lord in to just come and do what he wants to do in this place? Amen. I feel the presence of God in this room. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter number 41. Genesis chapter number 41. A passage from the life of Joseph. And I believe that God wants to speak to somebody today about your yesterdays and your tomorrows. Genesis chapter 41, if you'll turn with me there. I'm going to be reading from verse 46. Genesis 41, verse 46. The Bible says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And so here was Joseph in a land and in a place that he never planned on. But God had sent him there. He never, it was not a part of his five or ten year plan to be in Egypt and to be placed over the production of all of the farming in Egypt in preparation for a coming famine. Never planned on it. The Bible shows that he was fruitful, stored up grain in abundance. And listen to this, verse 50 says, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Somebody say Manasseh. Firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me to forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He says, God has made me to forget all of my trouble. Everything that I've been through, every trial, the betrayal, the tough times. He says, in this land that I never planned on being at, God has made me to forget my history. He's made me to forget my trouble. I'm going to save the preaching for the preaching. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When Joseph looked down at those two baby boys, he recognized two things about his story. He says, God has made me to forget the trouble that I've been through. And God has made me fruitful in a place that I never thought that I could be fruitful. He's made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Today I want to preach to you for the next few minutes from this subject. First Manasseh. Somebody say that. First Manasseh. Then Ephraim. First Manasseh. Then Ephraim. Would you bow your heads and pray with me right now? Lord, I ask for your anointing to come into this place. God, that you begin to prepare us to receive what you want to do today. God, begin to prepare our hearts even now for this altar call. That we would respond to it, God. God, that you would set us free from our past and release us 
into our future today. In the name of Jesus, let it be done according to your will. In the name of Jesus, everybody that believed it said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. There are few things more inspiring than underdog stories. Unlikely successes. People who overcame incredible odds to do great things. Men like Abraham Lincoln. If you ever read the history of Abraham Lincoln, he, uh, he lost his, his wife. She died. He lost about eight or nine elections uh, uh, before going on to become the president of the United States. He had a nervous breakdown. And he came from all of this failure to become the president of the United States and to lead through one of the toughest and most challenging times in history. It is the stuff that bestsellers and blockbusters are made of. It is the underdog, the, the nobody coming out of nowhere, having no pedigree, no background, no history for what they are about to do. They, you would have never picked them. It's like David becoming the king. He was just a shepherd boy when God found him. And God, the Bible says, took him from the sheep coat and brought him before a giant. And he made him famous because he had a plan for his life. And so we, we love the underdog stories. We were all rooting for one yesterday. Amen. Unfortunately, they always don't turn out. Amen. I'm going to move quickly past that so we don't kill the move of God in this place. But there's something about the power of possibility. The ability to overcome adversity that arrests the human heart. In history of unlikely successes, Joseph stands out. If history determined outcome, then Joseph's would have been a sure pick to live a meaningless life. And yet the Bible says the book of Genesis carries us through his greatest tragedies to his greatest triumph. And and, and I want to talk about his story for a few minutes today. His tragedies were many. Joseph lived through some stuff. We know the story. The Bible says at a young age that he uh, he experienced uh, the dreams of God on his life. Just a, a young man, probably 12, 13 years old, um, that God began to put dreams in his life and in his heart. And the Bible says that Joseph shared those dreams with his brothers. And because of his dreams, he was hated by his brother. He was beloved by his father but hated by his brothers. In fact, we know the story. If he ever went to Sunday school, that his father took him aside and gave him a, a special coat. How many of you remember the coat of many colors? And, and he places this special coat on him. It's like having a, a big badge walking around that says, I'm more special than you. <laughs> My daddy loves me more than he loves you. And the Bible says his brothers despised him. And hated him. And betrayed him. He was hated by his brothers. Attacked and betrayed. They plotted his murder. But when his older brother intervened, they sell him into slavery. And and all of a sudden, this life so full of dreams is now moving in the wrong direction. It's, it's going the wrong way. His life is not headed towards great things, it seems. But he's sold into slavery. Transition from being a beloved son to being a slave in bondage. And amazingly, the events of lives, uh, the life of Joseph can be told through his coats. 
because his first coat was the coat of many colors. It was the favored uh, uh, blessing of his father upon him, blessed and esteemed above others. So much promise on his life. God given dreams. He had hope. He had a future. But when he was betrayed by his brothers, the Bible said they stripped the coat from him. They dipped it in goat's blood and they take it back to their father and they say, Joseph is gone. Perhaps some beast has taken him in the field, but Joseph is gone. And so Joseph was stripped from the blessing uh, of his father, stripped from the coat of many colors. Left in garments of slavery. But even there, the Bible says Joseph found a way to move forward. The Bible says he soon became Potiphar's slave, a powerful commander in Egypt's army. And though betrayed into bondage, Joseph served well and was rewarded. Potiphar made him master over the affairs of his house. Everything that came into Potiphar's hand was in Joseph's power. He recognized the gift of administration upon his life. And life became as good as it could be in slavery. Life was as good as it could be until Potiphar's wife got a little crazy. Amen. And the Bible says that Because she desired Joseph, she tried to convince him day after day. And one day she caught him alone. And the Bible says she tempted Joseph. And when he rejects her advances, she catches his garment as he was fleeing. And she rips off his coat. The coat of favor again. The coat of blessing again. The coat of of making it uh, work again. And and so the Bible says she strips it from him and uses it as proof of a false accusation. And the Bible says that when Potiphar hears, he's angered. And he throws Joseph into prison for something he did not do. And I know I'm racing through this story, but I want to get to the part that I came to preach about. Listen to how Psalms uh, described Joseph's life. Psalm 105, 18, or verse 16, rather. It says, when he summoned a famine, speaking of God on the land, and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, and his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was placed in a collar of iron. So Joseph goes from being the master of Potiphar's house to a chained up animal in a prison cell. And he's stripped from the coat of many colors. He's stripped from the coat of blessing in Potiphar's house. And the Bible says he's thrown into prison where he wears chains day after day. He trades the garments of slavery for the garments of a captive. And the Bible looks uh, it makes this picture look like Joseph's life is just getting worse and worse. Anybody ever feel that way? You just can't get ahead. You just can't seem to catch a break. Every time that Joseph begins to do well, it seems like the, uh, that life comes along and strips him of his coat again. And so the Bible says that Joseph serves well. Even in prison, he didn't let prison get inside of his soul. The Bible, in fact, says they placed iron upon him, but that also iron entered his soul. There was something about Joseph that he wasn't going to give up because of circumstances. He wasn't going to compromise because of circumstances. 
circumstances. He was going to keep doing his best no matter what life threw his way. No matter what life took from him, he was determined to make the best of his circumstances. And so Joseph served well in prison. In fact, he began to earn the trust of the uh, the prison keeper. And pretty soon Joseph was running the inner workings of the prison. Pretty soon Joseph was right back where he had always been. In a place of blessing even though he was in captivity. He interprets the dreams of others there. He prophesies the restoration of Pharaoh's butler and baker. They come in one day thrown into the prison. And they both have dreams. And God gives Joseph the interpretation of the dreams. And the dream prophesies the release of the butler and the death of the baker. And, and when it all comes about, God shows this advisor to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Joseph's world. He shows that Joseph is able to interpret dreams. And the Bible says that the butler is released back into the service of Pharaoh. And he promises Joseph that I will not forget you. I'll remember you. I'm going to tell Pharaoh about you. I'm not going to forget how I got here. And the Bible says that for the first time in a long time, Joseph has a little bit of hope. There's a little bit of light. There's a little crack of opportunity that he, he, he kind of can see making its way towards him. And the Bible says that in the next few weeks, I'm sure that Joseph was anticipating a knock at the cell door. Somebody breaking in with a key and saying, we've heard how God used you. And the butler said that you were innocent. But that's not Joseph's story. The Bible says Joseph is forgotten. Abandoned for two years. He sits in this prison cell. Forgotten by this man whom he prophesied to be released. And this, this was Joseph's story. This was his history. He was investing his best and getting no returns. He was giving his all, and it was like everything was rigged against him. He couldn't seem to pull through. He couldn't seem to overcome his past. It all goes back to how it all started with the dreams of God and, and, and the betrayal of his brothers. No matter what he does, he can't escape his history. And the Bible says that it, it's like everything is working against him. He was a prisoner because he had been a slave. And he was a slave because he had been betrayed. And the wounds of the past run deep in Joseph's life. There he is sitting in a cell. Wasting away. Chafing at the chains that life had put on him. When finally one day unexpectedly a guard burst through the door with a key in his hand. Because the Bible says the butler had remembered Joseph. Pharaoh had a dream that he could not interpret. And he went to all of his advisors and they couldn't interpret it. And all of a sudden the butler comes to the realization that I know who can interpret this dream. And so they send a man into the prison after Joseph. And he burst in with a key. And the Bible says an incredible thing happens. The Bible says once again Joseph was stripped of his coat. 
Only this time they took off his prisoner's garments and changed his raiment. Listen to Genesis 41:14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him in hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Everything that had been taken from Joseph was now coming back to Joseph. Every time that his past had stripped him of his possibilities was now being returned to Joseph. It was a divine transaction that took place. God said, yes, I let you get into prison garb, but I'm going to be the one to bring you out of it. This time there was a different kind of shift in Joseph's life. He was made for this moment. All of his dreaming, all of his praying, all of his enduring had led him to this moment. And the Bible doesn't just say that the butler remembered Joseph, but the Bible says the Lord remembered Joseph. And Joseph shred off the prison coat and put on the palace coat. And God delivered Joseph for his moment and in his timing, for his purpose and for his calling. God was able to turn the captivity of Joseph around. Now listen, God used Joseph to preserve Egypt from famine so that Egypt could preserve God's people from famine. And so Joseph's history said that he never should have made it. Joseph never should have made it to the palace. Joseph never should have made it. He should have never been able to endure the pain He should have never been able to overcome his bitterness for his brothers. He never should have been able to overcome false imprisonment and accusation. He never should have been able to overcome being abandoned and forgotten in prison. But I've come to preach to somebody today that your history does not determine your outcome. History doesn't determine how you come out of this thing. His history looked like suffering, but it was really preparation. His history looked like pain. It looked like tragedy, but it was really a setup for his triumph. God's hand was in the history. Though Joseph couldn't see him, though Joseph couldn't feel him, though Joseph couldn't discern him, God was with him in the pit. He was with him in Potiphar's house. He was with him in the prison. And he was with him when he arrived at the palace. I'm reminded of Joseph's predecessor, Jacob. His father, Jacob. He said, Lo, I looked to the left and I did not know he was there. I looked to the right, I didn't know he was there. Joseph said, All this time, God has been with me. He said, I had no idea that God was with me in my story. Joseph was laying at the pillar that would soon be called Bethel, and he came to the discovery that God was with me when I was a failure. God was with me when I was a liar. God was with me when I was cheating. And he says, I I didn't even know that God was with me. And here his son has the same experience that when he comes out of the prison all of a sudden there is a divine perspective over Joseph's life that I never should have made it I never should have come through my divorce I never should have made it through the family tragedy I was abused I was broken I was messed up but God has a way where there seemeth to be no way now listen I didn't come to preach pretty to anybody 
It's going to be on a third grade level today. But I've come to preach to somebody that your history does not determine your outcome. When God is in it, when God puts his hand in it, it doesn't matter if the clay is mired and messed up. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've gone through, what you've lived through. When God is in it, God can make a way. Joseph came out of the prison. And the Bible says God allowed that last change to take place. And God took off of him the prison robes. And put on him the palace robes. I've come to preach to somebody today that's been wearing the past for too long. That it's time for you to change clothes. It's time for you to realize that God has something bigger for you. God has something better for you. God has something bigger, greater. Somebody say history doesn't determine outcome. History doesn't determine outcome. It was really all preparation. It was really God maneuvering him through pain and sorrow into his purpose. Joseph had lived what he lived through for a purpose. And God turned the captivity of Joseph. And in a single day, he stepped out of the darkness and into the light. It is one of the great stories of Scripture. Genesis 41 gives us a beautiful picture of the transformation God did in Joseph's life. Genesis 41, 46. Joseph was 36 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. He was released To do what he knew how to do. And during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put food in cities. He put in every city food from the fields around it. And he stores up grain. And he's preparing this great nation for the prophesied famine that is coming. God is using him to preserve Egypt so that Egypt can preserve Israel. And listen... Somewhere in the mix, on the other side of the prison, but before the famine. Listen to verse 50. It says, Before the year of famine came, two sons are born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph calls the first one Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. Joseph comes to the realization that his purpose puts his pain in perspective. His purpose puts the troubles behind him into perspective. Because without the purpose, it makes no sense. It's just injustice. It's just God letting terrible things happen to an innocent guy without the purpose. But God, the Bible says, gives Joseph his Manasseh. And when that baby boy is born, a revelation comes along with it. He says, he looks down and he's fulfilled. He shouldn't be where he's at. He shouldn't be happy. He should be bitter and broken. He should be wounded and scarred from his history. But Joseph realizes that God has healed me from my history. That where I was is not 
impacting who I am. And Joseph looks down at the baby boy and he realizes that God has made me to forget all of my troubles, everything I've been through. It's not dictating my life. It's not dominating my life. My past is not prophesying to my future. But I am I'm past it all. God has brought me out of it all. And God has made me to forget my trouble. Not just the trouble, not just the trial, but he said, God has removed from my heart the malice for the stuff that was done to me in my father's house. He has no bones to pick with his brothers anymore because he recognizes that they meant it to him for evil, but God intended it to him for good. And so Joseph has a Manessa moment. It's a healing of his history. It's a healing of his past. These two boys represent two things that every Christian needs. Everyone needs a Manessa moment in their life. As Joseph looks down at that boy, he realizes God has made me to forget my troubles. And he's delivered me from the bitterness and everything that was done to me at my father's house. And the second son was called Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my captivity. Joseph had been through some stuff. He had lived through some stuff. He was hurt and betrayed by his family. Treated like a slave. Lied about, accused, and punished as retaliation for doing the right thing. And ladies and gentlemen, I've come to preach to somebody today that your history will leave scars. The things that we've lived through have the ability to talk to us about our future. No doubt the day that Joseph came out of prison, he was fearful that it was all too good to be true. Think about it. He spent the last 20 years of his life being betrayed and broken by circumstance. Can you imagine how he felt when they put these robes on him and brought him into the palace? Like, when does the other shoe fall? When is this thing going to turn ugly? How is this going to come back to bite me? Because every time I've ever served before, and every time I've ever given before, and every time I've ever followed the God-given gifting in my life before, it's come back to harm me. And no doubt, have you ever seen somebody who came out out of a kidnapping situation, Stockholm Syndrome? They believe they can never be free. It's almost a comfort. It's, it's a surprise and a shock to me that Joseph was not institutionalized by his history. That Joseph could stand in the palace and be used of God because history has a way of leaving scars in our life. I'm sure he struggled with trust. I'm sure he feared what men would do to him. He carried with him years of abuse But hear me today, somewhere in the mix, God began to deal with Joseph about what he had been through. And God began to talk to Joseph about his yesterdays. And he began to reveal to him the purpose for his tomorrows. You see, everybody needs a Manessa in their life. When they look down at life and they realize that God has brought healing to my history. God has redeemed my story. God has brought me out of what this world and what others 
put me into. I'm preaching to somebody today with a past, with a history. Maybe your history was made by your own hands. Maybe it was you that made the choices to go to the pits and to the prisons that you lived through. Maybe it was your sin that led you there. And maybe it wasn't at all. Maybe you were just born to alcoholic parents who were abusive. Maybe you didn't choose your path at all. But I've come to preach to somebody today that before God can make you fruitful in the place that you're at, He's got to give you healing for your history. First comes Manasseh, then comes Ephraim. First Manasseh, then Ephraim. And God says, Joseph, I'm going to use you. Joseph, I'm going to bless you. Joseph, you're going to save your family and fulfill your purpose and calling in your life. But before you do, I've got to release you from your yesterday. I'm preaching to someone that everyone, everyone needs a Manessa in their life. God wants to heal the hurts of your history. He wants to reveal how it was all a part of His purpose and all a part of His design. And your Manessa moment is a breaking point from your past. It is a revelation that my past doesn't determine my future. That even though I've been through some things, that God was with me. And He was working on me and in me even when I could not see it. And Joseph stopped blaming. He stopped worrying. He stopped living his life looking back. And God did a sovereign work in his life. And he made Joseph to forget all of his troubles. It was the Manasseh moment that later enabled Joseph to sit eye to eye with the very ones who had betrayed him. And tell them, I have nothing against you. I know that you meant it to me for evil. I know that you wanted to murder me and kill me. I know that you hated my guts. But God had a purpose in it all. And so I'm not holding you hostage to your past. Because God has released me from mine. It was that moment, that Manessa moment that enabled Joseph to give grace to those who had wounded him and betrayed him. It was a deliverance in Joseph's life, a healing of the heart and mind, deliverance from the trauma and tragedy that brought you to the place that you are at. And I'm, I'm here to tell somebody today that your history can hold you from your future. As long as you're living looking back, trying to make sense of the mess that life delivered you, perhaps the mess you made yourself, you can never move forward. God was blessing Joseph. God was using Joseph. Joseph was looking around and he was seeing the abundance roll in in the seven years of plenty. Joseph was looking at all of that. But in the middle of it, God gave him a revelation that Joseph, I have set you free. You are finally free indeed. That you won't go back. This thing is not going to turn. I believe that there were probably a few years where Joseph just kind of felt like it would all fall apart soon. And so he was just going to enjoy it while it lasted. But I I believe that what God was saying when Manasseh was born is, Joseph, it's not going to turn around this time. Life is not going to be like it was before this time. Joseph, I placed you right here in this place for a reason and a purpose. And Joseph says, I, I have forgotten. I've forgotten all of my troubles. And they no longer tell me how to receive my present. 
Paul said it this way. Forgetting the things which are behind me, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. Forgetting the past precedes being fruitful in the future. Forgetting precedes fruitfulness. Paul said, if I spend my life looking at my sins and looking at how I was a persecutor of the church and how I've fought against the will of God, if I spend my life in shame and in condemnation and in guilt, then God can never do His final work in me. God can never release me to do what He's called me to do. As long as I'm looking back, as long as every time I pray, I think, who are you to pray. You know what you did. You know where you were. You know all the sins and mistakes of your past. As long as we live tethered to the past, we are held from our future. This is why Paul said, I forget the things that are behind me. And I press. I press. I can't walk into my tomorrow as long as I am bound to my yesterday. And Paul says, so I've got to forget it. God's got to help me forget it. God's got to deliver. There is now, therefore now, No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Paul said, I have to be released into my future. I can't live looking over my shoulder, living ashamed of what I used to be and and bitter at where I've been. I've got to look at the windshield, not out the rearview mirror. And so, first came Manasseh. And then the Bible says came Ephraim. He says, God's made me to forget my yesterday, all of the trouble, all the stuff I've been through. But God didn't stop there. Joseph has another baby boy and holds him in his arms. Hebrew names are significant and prophetic. And he names this boy Ephraim. He says, God has made me fruitful. He's made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He's helped me to flourish in circumstances that I never would have chosen, in a place that I never would have picked. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be a single parent. I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want to be broke and bankrupt. I didn't want to be all these things. But God can make you fruitful right where you are. Whether you're in a prison cell, in a pit, or in Potiphar's house, God can make you fruitful in your affliction. He said, it's in this place that God is going to do his greatest work in your life it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be all put together Joseph was essentially a glorified slave but God has made him to be fruitful in the land of his affliction Joseph first had healing for his past And then God begins to show him what he can do with his future God sends us to circumstances and places that we never saw coming But Joseph discovered that I can be fruitful in the land of my captivity. God began to deal with Joseph about tomorrow. He was harvesting grain that would save an empire. He was making a difference for his family's future. He was finding his place in God's plan. Was his story perfect? No. No, it wasn't perfect. Would he have ever chosen the context? No. He wouldn't have chosen the context. But God showed Joseph that you can be fruitful right where you are. If God can release you from the bitter and the brokenness of your past he can make you fruitful in the land of your affliction I'm here to tell someone you need to stop waiting on the right conditions you need to stop waiting 
on the right circuit. Well, if I could ever. How many of you ever said that? If this little bit, if God, if you'll just change that, then I'm going to give you my best. Then I can be fruitful. Then I can make, if, if pastor would just listen to my idea. You need to stop waiting for conditions to be right. And realize, some of you are waiting on the family problem to pass. What if it never passes? Sometimes God puts you in the middle of a mess so that you can make a difference. And so we get so caught up in waiting for conditions to get right. For God to do a work. We've got to be released from that understanding. We need to stop waiting on the right conditions. Because God planted you where you are right now. God put you where you are right now. Some of you are saying, no, I did that. God, you may have did it, but God had his hand in it. They may have did it, but God had his hand in it. Because God redeems the circumstances of our life. He doesn't choose it for us. But we're in the middle of the mess. He says, I can redeem that. And I can make it work together. For your good. I can redeem it and I can make it work for my promise and plan in your life. And so you need to stop waiting for it to get right to get busy. Was his story perfect? No. But God planted him in Egypt. And it was in Egypt that Joseph discovered God could make him fruitful. God can make you fruitful even in the aftermath. Of the mess you've lived through. See what I'm trying to tell someone today. I'm, I'm coming to a close. Brother Toby come on. And play softly. Here's what I'm preaching. Is that God cannot deal with your tomorrows. Until he can first deal with your yesterdays. Some of you have wondered. Will life change for me? Or will I just continue in the cycle of pain and sorrow and trouble? I want to take you in the last few moments of this service to Luke chapter 8. The Bible says that Jesus was in a great crowd, a great press came around him. And Jairus, leader of the synagogue, came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, my daughter is dying. She's at home. She's sick on her bed. She's 12 years old. Can you come and pray for her? The Bible says Jesus was moved to compassion. And he began to make his way to this dead future. This was this man's daughter, his future, his hope, his legacy. And it was dying. It was breathing its last breath. No hope. The mourners, the Bible said, had already gathered at the household. Just waiting for her to take her last breath so that they could go into mourning and fulfill the Jewish tradition. The Bible says Jesus begins to make his way towards Jairus' house. And the Bible says this great crowd presses in on him as he's moving, impeding his progress. And in the middle of the great press, there's a little lady whose story also started 12 years ago. 12 years ago, she came... Down with an illness. The Bible says she had an issue of blood. That her blood was not stanched. The Bible said she had spent all of her money on doctors who had caused her more pain than progress. The Bible says she had spent all, given everything to get loose 
from this issue that was plaguing her past. I hope somebody's hearing in the Holy Ghost today. These two stories converge in Luke chapter 8. They started at the same time. Twelve years of history. One had it good but had no future. And one had it bad and had a horrible past. The Bible says that she pushes through the crowd. Just this little sick lady. She presses through the crowd. And she knows that she can't get Jesus. She's just nobody. In fact, the Bible says she's ceremonially unclean. She shouldn't touch anybody. But the Bible says she makes up in her heart and says, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I shall be made whole. She doesn't need all the attention of heaven. She just wants peace of the deliverance and the healing that she knows is in Jesus. Just a touch of the hem of his garment. The Bible says she pushes her way through the crowd, clawing through the dust. What a shameful position to be in. And this is where your history will bring you through. To a place where you are desperate and you don't care what people think. The Bible says she pushes through the crowd. She reaches out in a moment of opportunity. She touches the hem of his garment. And the Bible says immediately the issue of blood was healed and she was made whole and Jesus felt it and the Bible says he turned and he said who touched me who, who, who touched me and Peter speaks up you know the, the loud one he says what are you talking about Jesus you're in the middle of a crowd everybody's touching you and Jesus says no this, this was different this touch was different this was the touch of faith. He said, somebody touched me and I felt virtue go out of me. And Jesus stops the crowd. And this lady comes trembling forward and begins to reveal her story that for 12 years, 12 years I've been fighting this. I, I thought I would never be free from what life has been putting me through. I've been going through the same thing over and over and over again. Somebody tells me about another doctor and I go and I spend all the money that I've collected and they don't help me. And I go home broke and save up a little bit more and I go again and they don't help me. And I'm plagued by this problem of my past and I can't break free until I touched you today. The Bible says that while she's speaking with Jesus about him healing her history, Someone whispers in Jairus' ear and says, Don't worry about Jesus coming. Your daughter is dead. In the same moment that the history was healed, the future looks lifeless. And the Bible says that Jesus turns to Jairus, recognizing what they're saying, and he says, Do not fear, only believe. I believe that there's an order to this passage that's intended to speak to us today. That God will and can speak life to your future. But sometimes you've got to pause to deal with yesterday before God can give you the tomorrow that you want. Sometimes you've just got to pause. You're objective-oriented. You're a winner. You're an achiever. You always make it happen. 
But I hear God saying you've got to press pause and let God deal with the pain of the past and the issue that's held you back and the issue that's brought you down before he can be, begin to heal your future. And the Bible says Jesus was not intimidated by a dead future because he walks into the house where the mourners are already mourning and they said she's dead and he kicks them out and the Bible says that he walks into the room and the Bible says, he says, Talitha Kumai, which is damsel, arise, get up, get up. He begins to speak to the future that you can live again. You can breathe again. You can walk again. You can have life again. You can make it. You can be everything that I've called you to be. But first, I've got to deal with your pain and your past. I want you to stand with me today. Somebody say, first Manessa. First Manessa. And then Ephraim. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to give the altar call in here in just a moment. But I'm preaching to people that have been struggling with the same issues of the past. And I want to tell you, God wants to speak life to your tomorrows. He wants to lift them up by the hand. He wants to breathe hope into you again. He wants to breathe joy into you again. He wants to restore your, your future. He wants to bring life. But there's a pause moment here today where God is saying, if you'll let me heal your yesterday, then I can speak life to your tomorrow. Today, I wonder if somebody would shrug off the shame, shrug off the code of yesterday. If somebody would lay aside the hurt and the bitterness, somebody here has been holding on to what happened to you. And I'm inviting you today to come down to this altar and have your Manessa moment where you say, God, you have made me to forget. God, you have made me to forget. God, you've healed my history. I was abused. I was broken. But God, today you made me to forget. God, today you've brought wholeness and deliverance to my life. And so today, I'm letting go of yesterday. I'm letting go of my problems. I'm letting go of my past so that you can begin to speak life to my future. Is there anybody here that would walk to this altar and say, Lord, have your way in my life today? I want to open these altars. I want to invite the church to come. It makes it easier for people to walk down the altar when the whole church comes. I want to invite the church to come because God has a word for somebody today. This is your Manessa moment. This is the moment where you open up your heart and you finally give it to God and say, God, I don't have to be restricted by my past. I don't have to be restrained by the abuse that I took. God, I don't have to do any. Lord, you have made me to forget. God, you brought healing and deliverance to my life. God, you brought hope. You've restored joy. God, make me to forget my troubles. God, let me have my Manessa moment. God, let me be released into my tomorrow. Come on, somebody. Manessa is here. God is in the healing business. God is in the healing business. He's in the deliverance business. So if you put it on the altar today, you don't have to be restrained by yesterday.